0: Uh, Elijah when conformity is not an option it really has also been a, a look at uh, King Ahab of uh, Israel and uh, some of the texts that we have dealt with have specifically uh, involved Elijah and some of them Elijah's not even part of the text God sent uh, his prophets to speak to the kings and we find them dotted throughout the books of 1st and 2nd Kings and so tonight we get to uh, continue this look in uh, 1st Kings at uh, those that ruled over Israel and those that ruled over Judah and uh, tonight we get to look at two kings that are set side by side they basically lived at the same time and had a different trajectory in their lives. And uh, if you have a, 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 don't have a Bible, there's pew few Bibles, and you can find the text that we're looking at on page 305, those black Bibles in front of you. Uh, just as you're looking there, many of you have them. One of the things that fascinated me this morning is um, Pastor Barry is preaching. I was up in the balcony, and I was looking down as he was preaching, and there were Bibles open everywhere. And that is such an encouraging thing to find you with your Bibles open, some taking notes, some just following along, uh, and uh, keeping track with us as we minister the word of the Lord. So tonight, the text is uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, uh, verse 41 to the end of the chapter. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shilhi. He walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed, and how he warred, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom. A deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Orphear for gold, but they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at ezion Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over israel he did what was evil in the sight of the lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of jeroboam the son of nebat who made israel to sin he served baal and worshiped him and provoked the lord the god of israel to anger in every way that his father had done father we come before your word tonight now and On the one hand it can appear just like another story that we can read in any history book and there's a sense in which that's true because it is history and it is a recounting of events that took place but these events are recorded in the word of God, the living word of God. They're there for a reason, they're there for our instruction. As Paul reminds us the things that are in the Old Testament are there for our instruction and our exhortation. So I pray that tonight as Pastor Barry leads us in these words and opens them up to us and explains them to us and through the help of your Holy Spirit works to apply them to our lives that we would heed the warnings, we would listen to the exhortation, and we would respond as your Spirit prompts us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just a a little bit of an obscure
1: text probably the first time you've heard a sermon on this particular passage I'll bet it's probably going to be the last time you ever hear a sermon on this particular passage it's basically reads like two obituaries doesn't it Jehoshaphat and Ahab's son Ahaziah coming to the end of their lives the end of their leadership and it is a brief summary of their lives a glimpse into generational lines two different lines One of them in the northern kingdom where Ahab was king and the other generational line in the southern kingdom of Judah where Jerusalem was the capital city and the throne of David where Jehoshaphat was king. And they remind us that even at the best of times that the world is a deeply flawed place. It is a place that is full of complexities, complications, full of failures, full of compromises, and full of foolishness. Leaving us, at the end of the stories of the people who led Israel, led Judah, wondering there must be more. And there is more. Knowing that, that we need a greater wisdom than, than what these people lived their lives with, to build a house. We need an, a righteousness that is alien to us. And I, I use that word intentionally because that is what Christ's righteousness is. It is alien to us. It's, it's not sci-fi. It's alien because it's foreign to us. It's, it's outside of us. It doesn't belong to us. It's given to us. It's alien to us. And these stories of the Old Testament remind us that is exactly what we need, particularly the the line of Jehoshaphat, which was in many ways a very, very good line. And yet, as we'll see tonight, yet a line that failed in dramatic and significant ways. Need a righteousness that transcends even the best of lines. And the line of Ahab. A dark line handed off to Ahaziah who was taught by his father Ahab and his mother Jezebel to revolt against the Lord and, and provoke the Lord. We need in this world a deep and profound mercy that reaches into those very generational lines also with the significant grace and mercy of God to reach people who live in those generational lines. These stories are, as Paul said, are the holy scriptures. And so they're more than, than just stories. They're more than just history. They are stories that point us to the greater story of how, or leave us, leave us waiting for and, and looking for the greater story of how God is yet preparing the world for a Messiah. When you read these stories and you, and you get to the end of them and they're both resting in the grave, you realize that there is something so much, very much more needed. And that is the greater story of the Bible. All of these smaller stories point us to that greater story, which is the story of redemption, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus who brings us all of the things that no generational line can ever, ever bring us. And it's into this world that these stories represent and all of their complexities and all of their difficulties and all of their failures and all of their compromises and all of their disappointments it's into those very lives that the gospel comes that the messiah does come and he heals us and he saves us and he redeems us praise the lord As with any old testament story there's geography involved and so i want to just explain some of the things that are mentioned in the story if uh if you've ever been to israel know that israel has a southern port i didn't know this until recently actually the port of ebon Ision-Geber, and it was a significant port in the country of Edom, which David was able to conquer in his time. Solomon ruled over this area as well. That's why in this particular text it says that there was no king in Edom. There was just a, a, a vassal state, and in Jehoshaphat's time, he ruled over Edom as well. Edom simply means red, referring to the red skin of Esau, going all the way back to Jacob's twin brother Esau. And this is where Esau's descendants lived. They were natural enemies to Israel. And they were, at this point in history, were subject to the throne in Jerusalem in David's line. But there was a port, a particular significant port because it gave access to a completely different part of the world than what the Mediterranean ports does. If you leave from Tel Aviv and that area, you can go one way, but if you leave from this port in the south, you can go to a completely different part of the world. Of course, it's before the Suez Canal ever existed. And you could go to Africa, you could go to East Africa, you could go far, far away. And in Solomon in his days used this particular port to go for gold. It's how i was just uh, reading through the book of, of Exodus and Leviticus, and everything's covered with gold. All all the tables, all the instruments, every every ladle, every spoon, absolutely everything is is either made out of solid gold or laden with gold. And Solomon went to a place called Ophir uh, to get that gold. and And clearly had the same ambitions as as did. Uh, uh, Ahab and Ahaziah to tag along with him But by the time that Ahaziah could come to the throne Jehoshaphat had realized that he had had enough Of his alliances with the northern kingdom and said no I don't think so You're not coming with us Uh, Where Ophir is we're not exactly sure if you've ever heard of the Solomon Islands, it's it's a long, long ways from where that port comes out. But it's where people thought, well, maybe this is where Solomon Islands is named after this very idea. This is maybe where where Solomon went to get his gold. Perhaps the Solomon Islands are Ophir. And all of all of this, though, in Jehoshaphat's time, in a matter of one generation, all of it would be lost. The rule over Edom and all of the splendor of Solomon's reign over the neighboring countries. But the main point that I want you to get tonight is not simply remembering all the names and all the histories. I find the the history very, very interesting. But that's not what I want to impress you with you tonight. I want to impress you with that greater story, The, the stories of which these push us towards, waiting for, yet looking for, and that is the story of the gospel. And this is the main point that I want to get across tonight. If you don't leave with with anything else tonight, this is what I would like you to please take home. That as these generations mingled, the generations of of, uh, Ahab in in the northern kingdom of Israel and the generation of Jehoshaphat in the southern kingdom of Israel reigning over Jerusalem, as they mingled together with with all of the complexities that they faced, with all of their failures, with all of their, their dashed hopes, these are the very things that the gospel has come into the world to heal. They, they tell of the very realities. They tell of the, the very kinds of things in which you and I still live in today, in our generational complexities, and our generational disappointments. I mean, a busload of 14 kids dead. And the good news of the gospel is that we're not simply told that we're going to live forever. The good news of the gospel is that we have a life that is entirely different than the world is experiencing in life right now. Think of the futility if that's all the gospel message was, is to just continue living on in these generational lines. If that's, if that's all we had to say, well, you know, in, in Jesus you, 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 can, you can live and you can, you can live longer. No, the, the, the gospel is so very, very much more than that. It is the story of which these stories leave us wanting, leave us looking for, where all of all of the corruption, all of the things that commence at generational lines and mess them up and distort them and make them dysfunctional and make them destructive in their behaviors, all of those things, Jesus will come again and he will root out entirely. From this creation and we won't simply live longer lives we will live in eternity without corruption That's a marvelous hope and that's the gospel message that I want to leave with you tonight so two simple points that the gospel first one is the gospel and only the gospel gives a perfection to even the best of family lines Jehoshaphat's line was a really good line he did a lot of really good things a lot of reformation that he carried on from his father Asa a lot of things that he did in taking asherah poles out of the country and and, in chopping them down and centralizing worship in Jerusalem a lot of things that he did to get rid of the male prostitute cults and the perversion the sexual perversion that went along with those things but even To the best of lines, there is a perfection that lies only in the gospel, far and above even the best of family lines. Secondly, that there is a power for transformation in even the darkest family line. And this is Ahab. This is Ahab's line in in which he established and and passed on to his son Ahaziah uh, a, a destructive, provoking, of the Lord, and the gospel message has hope and power for transformation, even in the darkest of those family lines. First of all, Jehoshaphat's line. Jehoshaphat's father was a man named Asa, who was a godly king who served God, and Jehoshaphat walked in the way, in the same way that his father did, in serving God. If you'd like to look more about the story of Jehoshaphat, I was at an event a couple nights ago and I heard the phrase, Jumping Jehoshaphat. And I, thought, I haven't heard that in a long time. I have no idea where that came from. I read an article months and months ago that where pe- even people who don't believe in God say that people suffer from a degree of illiteracy if they don't know the Bible. Well, there you go. You're a little bit illiterate if you don't know that Jehoshaphat comes from the Bible and you don't know what jumping Jehoshaphat means. Now, where was I? <laughs> Jumping Jehoshaphat. <laughs> he was a godly king. And the, the story of Jehoshaphat is in the book of 2 Chronicles. Actually, that's, that's what I wanted to say. In 2 Chronicles, if you'd like to read more, uh, pick up the book of 2 Chronicles. It's just a couple books further into your Bible. And there, there's a, a lot more of the details of the life and story of Jehoshaphat. You might remember him as the king who sends the singers into war first at the command of the Lord to thwart uh, his enemies. This is a generational reality. Whether it be Jehoshaphat's line or whether it be Ahab's line, this is a generational reality. That in every generation, something is being normalized. We're normalizing something right now. The home that you grew up in normalized something. You didn't even know it then, but something around you, the, the, the life that was lived around you, normalized the way that you live, right? Right? We're normalizing something right now as Christians and our culture in this day and age right now. People would look and say, "Well, well, I guess I guess this is normal." And for Jehoshaphat, that was a good thing. It was a blessing. What was normalized in in his home through his father Asa was reformation, was serving the Lord with. All of his heart and yet even in this best of family lines for all of Jehoshaphat's reforms and and all of the obedience that he carried out it was marked by compromise a compromise so significant and so devastating on future generations that it would almost entirely and completely wipe out the Davidic line in Jerusalem Jehoshaphat made an alliance it says he made peace with Ahab those few simple words he made peace with Ahab to which a prophet later again in, in the Bible we see that a prophet came to, to Jehoshaphat and said would you make peace with evil would you align yourself with those who hate God Jehoshaphat for all of his reforms made peace with Ahab what this peace was what it, what peace looked like it was a marriage alliance and Jehoshaphat allowed his son, Jehoram, to be given in marriage to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Her name was Athalia. And Athalia, do you know what you realize what that means? It means that Athaliah, Jezebel's daughter, became the husband of the king in Jerusalem after Jehoshaphat's death. And it says that his, her husband, Jerome, Jehoshaphat's son, served the Baals. Brought Behael worship into Jerusalem and taught them how to serve pagan gods. After Jehoshaphat's son died, Athalia outlived him. In fact, she outlived the next generation in Jehoshaphat's line as well. And she ruled as queen in Jerusalem. Okay, this is one generation on from Jehoshaphat. Jezebel's daughter, and if you've been tracking with us and and you've heard a lot about about Jezebel, Jezebel's daughter, her name is Athalia, is ruling as queen in Jerusalem. And she slaughtered every one of the Davidic line except for one, a godly, or actually a godly aunt was able to steal away a young Joash as an infant. And preserved him safely for six years, and that seven years after seven years at seven years old, they had had enough, and so some priests from the temple proclaimed Joash, seven years old, as king, and they took Athaliah out. These are the things that 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 came into Jehoshaphat's line, and his son suffered a very horrible death. Jehoram, actually Elijah, wrote him a letter. This is. Jehoshaphat's son now, ruling in Jerusalem, married to Jezebel's daughter, serving the Baals. And Elijah wrote him a letter. This is what he says. He says, behold, the Lord will bring a great plague on you and your people and your children, your wives and all your possessions. And you yourself will have a severe sickness with the disease of your bowels. You can squirm just a little bit. The disease of your bowels until your bowels come out because of the disease day by day for two years. This is the good line. This is the godly line. This is the line where it says that they they served the Lord. This is the line that, that brought reformation. And yet full of disappointments, full of compromise, full of, of complexities from one generation on, from where Esau and Jehoshaphat lived. Here's what the here's the point. Here's what I think the the the, the reality is. Is that Religion is worthless if it's merely something that we carry on from our parents. There is no substitute for actually knowing the Lord. There is no way to actually possibly worship the Lord with integrity without actually loving the Lord. Why do you love the Lord? Because you know the Lord. Principle-based religion will always find ways of compromise. Principle-based religion, by that I mean, oh, well, let's make peace. That looks good. That sounds good. Good moral principles, principles, good biblical-sounding principles fail because they're not actually connected. Sometimes to the living God, there's no substitute for a real connection of knowing God, being submitted to His Word, and loving the Lord. He made peace with Israel. He made peace with Ahab. What do we make peace with today? What? What will the next generation say? What were you? Th- thinking what do we make peace with i love the dynamic and the necessity of, of an intergenerational worship i always want to be involved with people older than me i always want to be involved with people that are younger me younger than me also i could easily uh, be involved in a, in a church very very small but i don't know that i could be involved in a church that wasn't intergenerational because every generation has their blind spots i grew up thinking that i knew all the blind spots of my parents <laughs> And in tremendous arrogance, there were many, many things that my parents had that were wonderful value, inheritance of, of godliness that I didn't realize until I was older. And now I realize that I, too, I have, I have blind spots, that it's helpful for people from multiple generations to be able to, to, to speak to them and say, well, why do you do that? Why do you think that way from younger people to older people? That's a valid question, by the way. <laughs> But it's also a valid question reverse for older people to say to young people, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> Why do you do that? Well, that's what my parents did. Well, that's not good enough. What do we make peace with? I've used these words from Psalm 101 over and over in my life that where the, the psalmist says this. He says, I will look on favor, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land. What am I making peace with? I will look on favor with those who are faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. And I've used that psalm over the years saying, Lord, what am I making friends with? What am I normalizing? Bring influences into my life that teach me more about how to walk with God and to love God, to know him. But even our best of habits fall short. Even in the best of lines, even in, in our best of our determinations, they, 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 they fall short, don't they? And that's the beauty of the gospel, that there is a perfection given to us in Jesus for those who are even in the best of family lines. All of us sin and we fall short of the glory of God. And we're justified by God's grace as a gift. And what unites God's people is this very idea of faith in Christ as our only hope. The second family line is that of of Ahaziah. And there is hope and there is power for transformation for even the darkest of lines. This was a dark line in a northern kingdom of Israel, ruled over by Ahab. And Jezebel. This is the home. This is the line. This is a family that Ahaziah grew up in. Very, very different than Esau's home that Jehoshaphat was reared in. Can you imagine what was normalized in Ahab's home? Can you imagine what Ahaziah inherited of, well, that's just normal. We, we kill prophets. That's what we do. Hey, honey, how are you doing today? How many prophets did you kill? Oh, well, about 30 today. How about you? How are you doing? Did you get your hands on that nasty Elijah yet? Well no, but he's an elusive guy and he's always outdoing me. Well, we'll get him. It was a home that was at war with God and on God's ideas, and it said that Ahaziah carried that on and, and he provoked God, like having a stick and a, and a hornet's nest. Come on. <laughs> Beat it. Come on. What do you got? You gonna come out and bite me? Come on. Show me. What do you got? Are you really up there? What are you gonna do? That's a home in in the way that Ahab and Ahaziah lived. And it's not something that is foreign to today's world, where many people are reared in homes that are at war with God and any, any idea of God. But Ahaziah and Ahab in this line is another reason why the gospel is good news. It's good news because it has the power to intercept people even in the darkest of family lines and even the, 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 the darkness of what is normalized in people's lives. People who are in complete darkness to show them a wisdom, a wisdom that, that can build a house that is different, that they've never even had a glimpse of and cut them off from generation of, generations of, of destruction and dysfunction. It, it's such a wonderful message of hope. You don't have to live that way. It can stop now in you, in your home, in the name of Jesus. It's a tremendous proclamation of the power of the gospel to reach into the darkest of homes, the darkest of places, and say, you belong to me. I take you captive for Jesus. Jesus. Can you imagine if we preach the gospel this way, if the gospel was merely only this message, that you can come to Christ if you don't sin too much and if you have godly parents? What kind of message would that be? It wouldn't be a gospel message at all. Of the words of Peter in, in 1 Peter 1.18, he says, he says this about the people that he is writing to. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. There's the gospel. People who are ransomed from futile ways. See, in in the gospel, it doesn't matter where you are, because where you are, Christ comes, and he changes the direction that you're going. You might come from a family like Ahab, from a dark, dark family line. Generations of ingrained normalizing of things that make healthy relationships impossible that make intimacy elusive this is the hope of the gospel don't compare yourself with others the question isn't so much what am I like compared to others and a lot of people do that and it's a, it's a really really long wrong way to look at yourself as, as a Christian simply saying well what, am, what do I look like compared to others the question for all of us whether we whatever kind of line we come from the question is where are we going are we being sanctified through real union with Christ that's the question we very rarely have the same starting points in life. The question is, is there progress? I hope that, that you're able and willing, in the name of Jesus, to accept anyone wherever they are in life. It doesn't matter where. The point isn't where they are. The point is, where can they go in the gospel? I believe this is what Pentecost is all about. Spirit given into the world. There are people from all kinds of Family lines, all kinds of generational lines, all kinds of ethnicity lines, every kind of line imaginable, all of them given the same spirit to arrest them, to take hold of them, to take charge of them. In the name of Jesus. We've just celebrated Easter and look forward very much so to celebrating the season of Pentecost coming in a few weeks. The Spirit is given to any and all, regardless of of their life situation and the spirit takes up residence you've heard it said that unless the lord builds his house we labor what labor in vain right heard that over and over and it's true unless the lord builds a house we labor in vain but if you turn around and say if the lord does build his house (laughs) if the lord does build his house who can stop it who can stand in its way Our Lord says, hell itself, with all of its authority and power, cannot stand in the way of Christ building his church. And Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, and such were some of you. (laughs) This is the darkness from from which you've come from. He he tells the Galatians right off the top in his epistle, he says that Christ has been given to deliver you from the present evil age in which you've been living. He tells the Ephesians that, that you were dead in your sins. Not simply weak in your sins, dead in your sins, which describes exactly the line that Ahab perpetuated. And so don't despair. Yes, our world looks like what Ahab perpetuated in, in Ahazia. And the God of this world has so, so blinded eyes. Do you ever have conversations with fellow believers and just think, why don't, why don't people believe? How can people believe in Evolution, how can people accept things like abortion? How dark are people's minds to just think that everything happened or that a life living inside a mother's womb is not exactly that. But that's the place, the exact place in which the gospel comes. And he redeems people from their darkness. Christ really is omnipotent. He really does possess all authority. He really is, Lord, over all, even over all darkness. There is no generational or family line that can thwart and overrule the power of God and the purposes of God to take people captive for his son and build his church. Where else would we be today with the gospel if it weren't for such a message of hope? In conclusion, as we come to the Lord's table, I want to remind that these stories show us that there is no, there is no generation of Adam and Eve before Jesus that brought perfection. None, not one. Jehoshaphat is a New Testament name. You say, really, I've never noticed Jehoshaphat in the New Testament. That's because when you get to the genealogies in Matthew chapter one, you just go, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Jehoshaphat, Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen. I'll tell you why you read the genealogies. Because it allows you to soak in this very idea. Name after name after name. Generation after generation after generation. All of them, where are they? They're in the grave. That's exactly where they are. Including Jehoshaphat and Ahaziah. They slept with their fathers. None of them could bring perfection. All of them lived and died as peoples whose generations were deeply marred with the complexities and the corruptions of sin. There are a who's who of people who did not bring redemption and who lived deeply flawed lives, every one of them, yet looking for something more, looking for what was yet to come. And what was to come is exactly represented at this table in the body of our Lord. This is why the words of Jesus are so significant when he said, this is my body, this is my body it's not jehoshaphat's body it's nobody else's body but a body that truly brought righteous obedience to earth and jesus says that it's broken for you for you is for you the cup speaks of the new covenant jesus says very plainly that this is the new covenant in my blood which means that we're not left merely to our own natural resources in the old covenant and and, and the processes of of, of obedience to a law but the spirit is given A new covenant where the Spirit is given to us to enable us to walk not only lives that are cleansed and washed of all of our sin and all of our corruption, but to walk in the newness of life in the power of the Spirit so that we can actually cast off our sins. As Romans 8 so clearly says, putting to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit, and we shall live. As we come to the table, I hope that you will understand the gospel message that is proclaimed to us. One that every generation that ever lived before Jesus looked to, looked forward to. A body that would, yes, finally completely bring complete perfection and, and an ability, a covenant that would enable us to live in the power of God.